0: hey what's up everyone my name is gary and welcome to the first episode of it's personal on this episode i have a chat with brit hawthorne anti-bias anti-racist educator co-creator of anti-racist book club on instagram and just amazing human being shout out to colby and carter it's about to get personal personal personal
1: just got personal gary and i just got personal it's Mm. personal my
0: name is Derek Bourne. My name is Cornelia Smider.
1: my name is Val Brown. This first is Nick. Hi, I'm Donald Miller.
0: Welcome to our first episode. I'm super excited. I have, uh, I guess, I want to say virtual friend right now. Um, but eventually, we will meet each other. We will be great friends in real life. How about you introduce yourself? Oh,
1: I would love to. Hey, y'all, I am Britt Hawthorne. I am so honored to be here. Um, I just can't say enough. I I hope you can hear that I'm smiling uh, right now from ear to ear. And um, who am I? Probably the first thing that comes to my mind is I'm a deeply introverted person. Um, I'm incredibly passionate about education. Um, I'm also a mama to two beautiful artists. Carter, who's 11, and Code, also goes by Kobe, is six years old. Um, I'm a Montessori believer. I'm a partner to my husband, and uh, I am also optimistic beyond measure.
0: That is awesome. Um, Britt, you are extremely active on uh, social media. Uh, Just before we get into some of the questions, can you share maybe your um, handles for social media just so if anyone wants to get to know you a little bit more?
1: Yeah, you can check me out on Instagram at Brett Hawthorne. I'm also on Twitter, uh, but don't judge me on that one. I'm at Brett Hawthorne underscore uh, making my way through understanding that world. And then you can also view... uh, want to get into my writing, you can visit me on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Brit Hawthorne, and that's really where I unpack a lot of what we're going to talk about
0: today. One of the reasons why I am so intrigued by what uh, Britt is doing is that it's real, and I'll be honest, you are one of the people that have kind of influenced me to start this podcast because everything I see through your social media... Um, it's so personal and it connects with everything and it relates to everyone and it relates to students and so thank you <laughs> honestly thank you. thank you for sharing that honestly you know, yeah you put stuff in the world and you never know how of course uh, it's going to come back to you of course you. yeah um so what we're going to do is we'll go through a number of questions hopefully just have a conversation with you um but i do have a serious question very very serious question um oh. Tupac or Biggie? You ha- you ha- and you and I know a lot of people pick both. If you can justify it, I'll allow you for okay. today. But I know it's really really hard. Wh- which one? Both.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's my here's my really good justification. Um, as we're gonna get into it a little bit more, one of the characteristics of white supremacy culture is either or thinking, it's this binary. And so what it does is it allows us to tokenize someone and we also have like this exceptionalism that will happen. And Tupac is like, oh my gosh, I I often think about Tupac being in my classroom and just me like learning right there with him and doing poetry and just like excavating his work and his writing. But Biggie oftentimes is someone who really is in my classroom every single day. And I will, like, never forget, you know, as he talks about his teachers. And how his teachers are like, you're not going to be anything. And that one just always hits me to the core. Yeah. So, and they both make dope music. I mean.
0: That was really good. That was really, really good. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Because that was actually... Like, I didn't really even thought about it that way. Like, I agree, like, Pac was definitely the, he was the teacher. Like, he was the one definitely pushing limits, definitely trying to engage. Then Biggie was that kid in the classroom, like, let me do what I want to do. Like, I'm really good at things. You're not seeing me. Let me do it so I can prove to you um, that I'm a really, really dope kid. Um, I think you nailed it. So I'm going to give you a pass just for today. <laughs> thank, thank you. <laughs> All right, Britt, so you did talk a little bit in the beginning about who you are. How about like, where are you from? Like, where do you, where maybe where did you grow up? Where are you living right now? Um, and maybe what does that background and culture look like for you as a kid?
1: Yeah, okay, so I grew up, I was born and raised in a town called Rockford, Illinois. It's like an hour outside of Chicago. Um, so sometimes they'll hear, my A's are a little hard. Uh, like when I like when I tell my uh, kids I'm like go get your jacket and then they always laugh at me but I grew up there um, so heart of the Midwest a very industrial town Um, like the one of our largest employers was a car factory so around a lot of blue-collar folks and education of course was really thought of as a way, as a means to a paycheck. And so our district is also another one of the largest employers in this very smaller town, like 150,000 folks live there. Um, and then after, you know, the financial crisis, after we had went through an auto crisis in the United States uh, and plants were getting shut down, uh, Wages started getting cut. Um, Rockford quickly started to turn into what is now a really under-resourced community. And so my partner and I, we decided we needed to move. And we now live in Houston, Texas. So we're uh, a nurse. Um, I do often say, y'all, I've adopted that. <laughs> um, and I love it, I love it here. If anyone knows a little bit about Texas, it's usually first the food, we have an explosion of food in Houston and I love that um, and something not a lot of folks know but a little known fact is that it's one of, if not the most, racially and ethnically diverse city wow. in the United States Yeah, and uh, it's actually the reason why we moved here. So we were looking at places and we were thinking where do we want our children to, to live and what kind of community and diversity, racial and ethnic diversity is important to us. So. Googled it, Houston popped up. We came and we visited Houston uh, on a weekend, and I was absolutely shocked. Like, my mind was unable to process stereotypes quick enough to keep up, which was incredible. I mean, we would go to the mall, we went to Galleria, Mm -hmm. and it was like the United Nations. Um, just stuff I've only ever saw in a book. Sure. In Rockford, it was really white, black, and a small population of Latinx, um, primarily Mexican. And so coming here, seeing a full diaspora of Africa and a full diaspora of Asia and South America was mind blowing. I remember I walked into the Starbucks and uh, I came out and I my face must have just looked shocked. And my partner was like, what's, what's up? And I was like, I just saw two Asians as police officers. (laughs) (laughs) And one of them is wearing a hijab. (laughs) And then it was just like mind-blowing that those just were not experiences, not jobs that I ever saw growing up. Um, And I love that.
0: As I'm talking to you, obviously, I can see that you're biracial. Can you talk to us a little bit about what was that like growing up?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, so I am my rate and ethnicity I'm uh, black biracial is how I identify my mom is white my dad is black uh, they really got married out of the loving generation in the 70s and um, they I were love, high school sweethearts I love the way you put
0: that the, the loving generation <laughs>
1: they, are, they are the loving generation they were um, high school sweethearts got married uh, had my oldest sisters um, and then had me so I'm the youngest of three all girls uh, so there's a lot of dynamics there with, with having four women in a household um, but I mean I always was aware of my racial and ethnic identity my parents talked about it all the time like there wasn't it, it just we always talked about we could always see and we always were unpacking cultural differences between my white side and my black side and um, the ways that people interacted with me Something that my parents didn't prepare me for was the ways that people would, um, I guess, interpret who I am. Something I, like, like growing up being a child, I always knew my racial identity, but I didn't feel like my friends did. And it wasn't until like my dad would come to the Valentine's Day party and they would be like, right, who's that man? <laughs> I'm like, who? They're like, That man And I'm like, Him? I'm like, that's my dad. They're like, That's your dad? And I'm like, Yes. And they're like, Oh, I didn't know you were black and I guess you just thought I had a tan. I don't know. So but just always like having or like if I had a birthday party and people would come to my house and Um, or things that we may do a little bit culturally different. Mm -hmm. So that was always me, K-12, trying to navigate that, uh, navigate my big curly hair and wanting to straighten it. Uh, And then in middle school, I um, was one of the chosen few to be selected for gifted and talented, which really meant that I got bussed across town and we had a gifted and talented program that was a school within a school so what they did is they put our gifted and talented program in our lowest performing school wow that way it kind of offsets that now that i realize what they were doing it offsets the data so it doesn't perform as low but again what i didn't anticipate was being in almost all black school Wow. And so I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, white space. I went to a white school, K-5. Um, and then just over summertime, snap of the fingers, going to a predominantly black school. Now, being in the gifted meant that we had all kinds of privileges that my counterparts didn't have. Like we'd go on field trips and we'd get coach buses. Um, and we all had textbooks that we could take home. Um, but I just remember having conversations with what we call the general ed students. And they were like, and I would say, why don't you have anything in your backpack? I mean, my backpack weighed like 15 pounds. We would have, our backpacks would be on roll, on a wheel. And they're like, we, they're like, you can't take a book. That's stealing. And I was like, how are you doing your homework? And they're like, no, you have to finish your work before you leave. And I'm like, I have hours of homework. But just seeing how, like, the financial inequities that would happen. Um, and then also, like, navigating being in the gifted program that was a predominantly white space, but seeing my counterparts at lunch that just weren't tokenized to have the same access and resources and advantages that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, went to high school. I loved my high school. Shout out to Auburn High School. No, Northern
0: I... Illinois. I went to a high school called Auburn as well. Did you really? I did. <laughs> high five. <laughs> oh my gosh. Did you love your high
1: school? I
0: actually did, like, a lot. <laughs> was your
1: high school super diverse? Too? It, you know,
0: it wasn't... I wouldn't say it was. And um, I kind of had this conversation with the... Uh, Close, like family member recently it was a little bit it was segregated like we had one side that was predominantly black and we went to one spot every morning they called it the corner and we all just hung out there and then there was something called the pit where basically that's where all of the um, I wouldn't say other but predominantly white um, friends would stay there and like we didn't really cross paths like there were times when i started to get into like 10th or sorry grade 11 grade 12 where i was like kind of crossing over a little bit whether that was through student council or yearbook i was just trying to be more involved with school but if it wasn't for like those kind of activities i don't think i would have really even wandered kind of over to that area so it wasn't i'm assuming yours was very uh Diverse, it was. yeah.
1: But that I think that's so important, though, for educators to remember that those extracurricular programs and ancillary classes that often get cut, mm-hmm. those are ways. Those are are ways to connect folks that have a very different backgrounds. Totally. But I am okay. So I am curious about <laughs> this, though. because I want. I actually want to research it more. Do you think that y'all were self-segregating in the sense of these are my people and this is who I feel affirmed with. And so I'm like, they get me and I can be my whole self. Or do you think it was more institutional segregation? Knowing, I, I mean, I know um, no one was legally segregating at that time, but through like policies and procedures.
0: Um, who's interviewing who here?
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, look at me.
0: No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. kidding. (laughs) I, you know what? Um, I was, I was, I was pretty lucky growing up. I had two black principals in high school and in middle school, and they did a really good job of trying to keep us, to bring us together. But I do feel like it was more self than anything. Like, we all grew up in the same community. We played on the same basketball team. We wanted to be around each other. And we spoke differently, we had different things in common. So I think for the most part, that's what we were comfortable with. Um, And I think going off into another group and having those conversations would be very difficult because we felt like, and which we were, we're just from two totally different worlds. Like our communities um, in Nova Scotia, like we're predominantly black and we were consistently being portrayed as gangsters or um we're being racially profiled we we were in the newspaper for all the wrong reasons and it every other month there was like a thing and another thing and we'd have to go to school and people wouldn't say it but you could see it on their face like they're thinking like wow like your community's in the paper again today um how, how like it's almost like we feel bad for you but we don't know what to say to you Um, because I had a lot of friends, I had a lot of white friends, a lot of friends from different places, but they just couldn't really connect with me because we never had ever had that dialogue.
1: I mean, I think those are all important things for us, like, as we build our critical consciousness to remember, like, how did that feel? And, and like you said, it's like no one really had at that age, the language to kind of navigate even now, like when. I'm doing my work off. Like the biggest um, confession, I'll call it, like that. White folks will have is, I don't know the language, and I don't want to offend. Exactly. Um, and that like just carries us through.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. So I'm I'm wondering, like obviously, you're, you said your schooling was one of the greatest times for you. What does your your family life look like?
1: Yeah. So my dad worked at Chrysler. Um. So you know he had a Monday through Friday. Would get up at the crack of dawn. Go to work. My mom was a teacher.
0: Oh, cool! Um, and
1: I know, it like I knew since I was nine, I was going to be a teacher, and I just loved pretending to be her. Um, she became a principal, and then um, middle school at home became very difficult. My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer, and so kind of as a child, it's still so abstract. What is that? And, very, like binary. Either you have cancer and that means death, or you're healthy. And trying to figure out what that meant, um, and then going into so. And then it went into remission. Um, my eighth grade year, and at home, life just seemed fine. We were going to move across town. We were going to buy a bigger house. Things were settling down. I got into high school. Um, I was playing soccer. And then my, um, at the end of my freshman year, so not that much time, my mom was diagnosed with leukemia.
2: Wow. So her
1: cancer actually came back, but it, and it came back more aggressive. Um, so she went and stayed in Madison, Wisconsin at university of Madison for a few months. She did a stem cell transplant, um, and it failed. It wasn't successful. And so just. Two weeks into the school year, my sophomore year, my mom died of uh, leukemia. We lost the battle. So my two oldest sisters were already in college. It left my dad and I at home. Um, And I really didn't know what that meant to now be really an only child at home. Uh, My dad started working more to make up income. So he was working like six days a week. And I kind of just was found this new I was I was trying to find what it meant to be independent family was stepping in my granny would come over in the morning and you know make sure I get on um, get off to school I was driving at that time and she would make me breakfast um but I mean just I was really lonely and I didn't have any kind of tools to deal with grief my high school tried to help and they enrolled me in on-site grief counseling. Um, and I'm really grateful for it, but I, I wasn't really ready to accept. And so six months later, I found out I was pregnant. And so that's, um, my oldest child Carter, who is now 11. Um, and so finishing out high school, I was a teen mom. I was a single mom. And again, probably one of the reasons why I love my high school so much is they were so supportive. They got me enrolled in a teen mom program. Uh, they helped me figure out what WIC meant, which was a federal food program that would help me pay for um, formula and healthy foods and pay for gas. So I could still stay in wow. high school. Um, and then, uh, so I, I had him, Shortly after that, you know, had a healthy pregnancy, had a healthy labor and delivery. um, Graduated high school with my child on my hip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am really, really proud. um, And I could not have done it without all of the help of my school, my teachers. Um, I didn't always have great teachers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had some really mean teachers during my pregnancy. Um, I was one thing that still disheartens me is that i was um, elected the homecoming queen
2: oh, wow.
1: and the gifted and a talented program rallied against me and said that i was not an wow. exemplary example and so that year was the first year our high school ever had a homecoming princess wow so i was so then they made a homecoming princess and prince but i i just also remember my
2: Peers being so
0: compassionate. They're mm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but that happens. It does. You know? It does. Wow. That but that's like a that's a lot happening in high school. And I think not just high schools alone, but like the colleges, like they could really learn from that model of like extraordinary care. You Sometimes don't get that from like companies or businesses to have group of people to step in like that and make you feel so comfortable. I can only and Im- no wonder you love your high school so much. Like that is amazing,
1: so incredible. I mean, I just remember like my teachers were noticing before I had told them I was pregnant. You know, I was sleeping in class. I wasn't turning in assignments, and um, I just remember like all of my teachers really saying like, "Brit, what's going on?" like we're noticing something is happening of course my mom had passed away and so they were like trying to figure it out and then when I eventually told them that I'm pregnant it was just this deep breath of heaviness from like every teacher I had to tell but then it was okay what plan are we going to figure out together like Mm -hmm. you're still graduating high school and you're still getting to college Uh, and so what does that mean like are you and I just remember being so fearful I was going to get kicked out. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any other teen moms. I thought, like, I'm going to get kicked out of my high school. They're going to make me go to some other school. You know, I just didn't know. And they are like, no, you are staying here. And, you know, we'll help you out whatever application you need to do. Childcare. I did end up moving in with my granny, my mom's mom. So I moved in, and that helped out a lot because my dad was still working so many hours. Um, him and I, we ended up uh, really just having a falling out, and so it was best. So I moved in with her and uh, finished out high school, made it to college, went to community college, um, worked as a teacher assistant, and worked with kids all through then, transferred to a four-year, and uh, graduated with my degree in elementary education.
0: Wow. Wow. How was living with Granny? I loved it. Don't you just love grandmothers? Like, aren't they just, like, amazing? <laughs> hmm. Like, she
1: would knock on my door and be like, hey, sis, what do you want for oh. breakfast? And I'm like, um, oh, I'll take buttermilk pancakes and hash browns. <laughs> so, and then, and then when Carter came along, you know, they really kicked it up a notch with Carter. Uh, and she would, like, do my laundry and have it folded for me, just, like, waiting at my doorstep. I mean, I'm getting treated like
0: that at home. <laughs> My grandmother's still the same way. Like, I'll go home just to, like, visit, and she's, like, making breakfast, and she wants everyone there for dinner. She wants, like, if we're having, like, a family get-together, she wants everyone there. And it's, it's one of the things I love about grandparents. Like, they they understand what it means to love. Like, and they truly... sincere Right? It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Another question for you, more about education. Obviously, you enjoy teaching. You enjoy informing. What do you feel is going really well in education right now? What do you think is something that has been um, a bright spot? I
1: think um, right now, I think it's probably one of the most exciting times to be in education. I think the research that is coming out that can inform our practice is some incredible research. We, uh, for the first time... Uh, since we've had formal research in education, we have more folks of color that are conducting research, and we have more women that are conducting research. And so we are getting better information about what can we do in order to be our best selves in the classroom. Um, I think we also have, uh, and, I, and I won't go into detail about it, but in the United States, we had uh, Brown versus Board of Education, and that was one civil rights policy that was uh a law that was created in order to integrate our schools. And um, from that, we inadvertently perpetuated this anti-blackness, this inferiority complex of saying, well, black schools weren't equal or were inferior to white schools. And so from that period, we had thousands of black teachers that were systematically fired. And we have never recovered in the United States from the firing of all of those educators. But now, Now we're seeing, again, on the rise of teachers of color entering the profession. Um, And again, that's only great stuff that's happening that that can only have positive outcomes for all children.
0: Mm -hmm. I agree. I think it's hard because, like, again, me being from... I talked to someone about this also recently. I'm from Canada. Um, I'm teaching international. What can we do? Um, And this is a question, I don't know if you have the answer for, but what can we do as teachers like, are teaching at international schools to try and have that conversation more, Um, have those um, deeper discussions in the classrooms or even with colleagues, what what do you think we could do?
1: I definitely think if you're in an international school is understanding, uh, well, first you have to work on building your own critical consciousness and how that was developed and questions that you're asking are incredible questions just to make public and have um, teachers in general and start answering those questions, right? Like, who am I, what's my background, what's my culture? But then once you've begun that journey and no one ever really ends that journey is understanding how colonization has really morphed the entire world and how we have all these interlocking systems of, of racism and the patriarchy that's really embedded in all of our school systems. And so once you kind of start to understand what colonization is, you start to understand globalization in a different way that, like, globalization is such a positive word, but if if we start to look at globalization from the opposite end, like, well, what is globalization and at what cost? Um you can really start to form your lesson plans around globalization isn't good for everybody and when is it not good and then how can we make it good for everybody um, and just start to understand that power and privilege oftentimes because we use the word agency mm-hmm. um, so that they can start to understand I am going to be a voting citizen exactly. in whatever country I'm in exactly. and so I want to vote for the, the good of the group not
0: the good of my group. -hmm. And I think sometimes I, I have run across this a few times, maybe online and through schooling is that teaching about these things doesn't mean that you are bringing in your, uh, your, your point of view in a way of influencing, you are there to facilitate and help them have the questions and the wonderings about things. Sometimes teachers tend to feel and look at what you're doing and believe that you're trying to influence a child's decision on something, which you're not. You're giving them different perspectives um, and you're asking them to have a conversation, um, which doesn't mean that you're trying to convince them to be a certain way, act a certain way, vote a certain way, um, Etc. Because I think, as a parent, that could be scary. Um, and sometimes teachers sometimes also look at it as like, who do you, who do you think you are to be kind of talking about that or influencing kids? But if you don't have that mindset that you just talked about, it's going to be very very difficult for them to kind of get over that and start having those conversations. Absolutely.
1: I think the more that we can admit that education is never neutral, and we can just have that honest accountability to ourselves and we even tell parents education isn't neutral mm-hmm. but I am here to hold your child accountable of their thoughts and their actions and to intentionally make a choice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We also don't want and what can happen is that we'll have propaganda if no <laughs> one is thinking critically about anything. Someone is making a decision um, and then that, those are the worst kinds of decisions. The ones that we don't know who who made them, the one that we can't hold somebody accountable for, we just keep saying these invisible forces. Mm -hmm. The government or the agency or the board, but we can't really point who it is. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Uh, We need to be able to point to who it is and and we want our learners to say, this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. And Mm -hmm. we want them to be proud of that. Mm -hmm. Whether we agree with them or not, we want them be able to have a firm footing Mm -hmm. and learn how to resist when they disagree Mm -hmm. you know that's a healthy part of democracy is learning how to resist in a way um that feels right to them
2: Mm
0: -hmm. and when do what do you think um a good age is to start that like when do you think we should start talking to kids about voice and change and resisting and voting or different perspectives? Like, what do you think that should start?
1: From the very, very <laughs> beginning. Um, I think between zero to six, I actually think early childhood teachers do a great job of doing that already. Oftentimes, it will be when someone cuts somebody in the line, right? And of course. Say, um, yeah, and we'll say, yeah, and we're watching it happen. Right? And, the, and the child, it, most of the time, innately, can already say, like, no, stop, move. And we encourage that, right? And we will want to guide it. We don't want another child pushing somebody else, but we do want them to use their voice and their agency.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then as time goes on, we always see it, anyways, like in the cafeteria. Uh, if you have children that bring in food, we usually call them cold lunch children. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll see that food is currency in the cafeteria. It is. Right? It is. It's like, I got this cupcake. And, <laughs> <want> <laughs> and then you're experiencing a child who has power. And so, and talking them through that. Oh, I see you got a little power here today, <laughs> don't you? And how does that feel? And how are you going to use that? <laughs> you know, are you going to start taking names and saying, uh... You know, who's going to trade me for it, Uh, who's going to sit by me, who's going to give me what for this. We see it all the time versus, hey, I genuinely want to share this cupcake with you, or I genuinely don't want to share that cupcake with you.
2: We see it with
1: school supplies. In the beginning of school, if if you don't do community school supplies, when everyone has their brand new supplies, some learners don't have new supplies or any supplies, and someone has the shiny pencil. You know, and they have to sharpen the pencil. They have to walk around with the pencil. It's like, why do you have the pencil? You don't even need the pencil right now. But it, so they already have a sense of power, and it is up to us to start to give them the language of like what they're experiencing, mm-hmm. and then how to guide them through that. Um, Oftentimes with my learners, uh, I'm not in the classroom anymore. I homeschool my children now. Mm-hmm. But when I was in the classroom and I would start to feel that they were giving up their power to me, then we would have a really serious discussion. And I would say, you know what? I really feel like you're giving me too much power over you. There's no reason why I should be asking you. Um, that, there's no reason why you should have to ask me to go to the bathroom. Go. It's almost disrespectful when
0: they... It's like, are you, like, you're really going to stop me from using the bathroom right now? Like, sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm like, I am in the middle of a lesson. Like, <laughs> you are empowered to go to the bathroom <laughs> take care of any of your fundamental needs. I don't care. Yeah. Take care of it.
0: Take I totally agree.
1: But then when they go to the bathroom and a teacher has to walk them back to my classroom, because they will fail, right? Mm-hmm. And no big deal. Mm-hmm. And then now I and now I have to do what? I have to say, okay, now you have to ask me before you go to the bathroom. Yeah. Or you'll have to wait until lunchtime. And then I'll tell them, like, you're, why are you giving me this power? Uh-huh. Don't. Uh-huh. Don't. No one should ever have to control you, your mind, your thoughts, your words, or your body.
0: Mm-hmm. Choices, Like right? Everyone so has a choice, right?
1: Early, as early as possible uh, with young children, empower them to say no. Uh, no thank you, empower them to ask, ask for consent, starting with physical consent, may I have a hug, allowing them to say no about hugs and kisses. Um, But always just asking them, giving them the choice and empowering them to say yes or no or I'm not sure, I'm not ready yet, I'll Mm -hmm. let
0: you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think in my mind I was thinking, yeah, I think as early as possible because there's so many situations, like you said, where you can talk about life and make it a little bit more real than just going to the bathroom like yeah it is about power like you can totally have that power if you want to or you can let someone else decide I totally agree with you um on the other side what would you say you're like in front of multiple teachers right now what would you say the most important thing we need to be either talking about or having the conversation about in the classroom? I
1: think that every teacher I mean if I if I had to Megaphone and I can talk to all teachers, it would be to utilize an anti-bias, anti-racist framework. Um, Learn what that is, get training around it. I saw that on your Instagram, you were talking about teaching tolerance and their anti-bias framework. Become very familiar with it. Um, And then work towards those goals. So if you have lessons, have conversations, have community meetings around Diversity around identity, around justice, um, and anti bias work that's usually um, coded language for like, internalized racism or internalized oppression, and also the interpersonal racism and oppression that folks experience. And anti racism is a broader, more panned out view where it talks about the institutional and ideological oppression. And so Having the conversations, learners are already experiencing all of these and they see it. They see difference um, and they just don't really have the language to identify it. Just as I was saying in middle school, I could see the difference between the gifted and talented program and the regular ed program. I didn't have the language and I didn't know why. I didn't know why we got treated better than the other students. Um, But I could draw some conclusions that were probably inaccurate And to try to figure it out and make sense of my world. So I encourage all teachers to look into anti-bias, anti-racism. Do it for their learners. Do it for ourselves. It's a healing process for ourselves. It gives us a lot of answers and direction. And then if I had a very pinpoint, uh, one, it would be, Teach Black Lives Matter, the first week in February in um, the United States, but I hope it will be a global movement. Um, Go online, Google Black Lives Matter National Week of Teaching, and grab the lesson plans and host conversations around anti-blackness. It is present in every single community and every culture in the world. Um, Get familiar with it. Here in the United States, the NEA just adopted it and said that they are going to go ahead and promote it. Um, but that's something super concrete. Lessons have already been created for you uh, that you can start today.
0: Next question was, like, where do you get those resources? So,
1: Can I just say I really appreciate that question? Because a lot of folks will say, just Google it. <laughs> and while I agree, to, to a certain extent, you know, if you have a very general question, sure. you can Google it. However... Um, there's so many resources out there, and a lot of them are perpetuating harm. So I love that you asked the question. Number one uh, folks that you can follow on Instagram Tiffany Jewell, her handle is at Anti Bias Montessori. Um, Antonia Adams' handle is Miss Adams Teaches. Um, Patrick, I think he's at President Pat. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Radical Maestra, Kathy. Um, I'm trying to think who are Olivia uh, at Miss Bertels she's great about talking about citizenship and democracy and voting Um, I'm trying to think of the folks that I usually tag it's always so hard because you don't want to forget it and then as far as some go-to books there's a book by Rethinking Schools called Teaching for Black Lives I highly suggest it um, if you want to get more involved in the Black Lives Matter movement, what it's about, and understanding it. If you're thinking about anti-racism, there's a few books. One is Everyday Anti-Racism. Um, and then another one is Stamped from the Beginning. We're doing an online Instagram book club right now, Stamped from the Beginning. It will go into January, maybe even February, because it is a long book. Um, and if you're thinking about anti-bias, uh, then there is a incredible anti-bias for early childhood educators by Louise Sturman sparks It's good for everybody, though, not just early childhood. And then, Gary, like you've already posted, Teaching tolerance. Um, they have done so much of the legwork. They even have a new facilitator guide. Start a small group in your school, grab the facilitator guide, and uh, go through it together.
0: Yeah, I think there's... I, I, again, one of the reasons why I asked that question is because, yeah, a lot of people will say, like you said, go Google it. But because there's so much now happening and people are talking about it, you want to be very intentional about where you're getting that information from. Because you can be very, very easily drawn to information that is not true or not exactly what needs to be done in the classroom so thank you for all of those all of those resources and hopefully if you're listening have like spend a day 30 minutes 10 minutes just like surfing through online instagram twitter like resources because you can like once you start kind of reading it i find that you are noticing things about yourself as well like it's not just about you pushing it into the classroom like you are learning about yourself um constantly through all of these resources also um so thank you that's a great list a really really great list
1: absolutely if it feels uncomfortable it should
0: yeah exactly it feels
1: affirming uh, just like we ask our readers right like when <laughs> they're reading a text and we always ask them to check in with it um and that's like one way right to like flag quote-unquote fake news mm-hmm. um is how is it making you feel if it's if it sounds too good to be true,
0: mm-hmm. it probably probably is. is. <laughs> it probably is. The
1: truth doesn't always feel good. Sometimes the truth.
0: Exactly. Hurts. Exactly. I have um, two more questions on our first podcast. Um, it's been really, really fun. It's been really, really I've fun. enjoying myself. So much. <laughs> um, what is your favorite food?
1: Grandma's here, and grandma is cooking for me. Grandma would make me sweet potato would be a baked potato with mustard greens and cornbread but it'd be my granddad's cornbread Mm. and i don't eat pork anymore so back in the day it would have been a pork a fried pork chop Uh today today what would i ask mp traveler
0: what do you want your legacy to be
1: the answer may change okay I guess, but right now, I don't know if I want to have a legacy. I guess I just want to continue to do good work uh, um, and pass the torch and just know that the next generation, I mean, we've made some kind of progress. Um, it, it, but if, when people think of me, I want them to think of love. Mm,
0: I like I want that. I
1: them to think of 100% of love.
0: I like that. I want them to
1: feel loved. I want them to know that I love them. Uh, and everything I do is rooted
0: in love. I think love is such an important part of life and we often forget about it sometimes in the classroom um we forget about it through like relationships um but it definitely I'm one of those believers like I think it can heal everything like I think if we consistently do things with love or with care that it can start to make changes Um, um I appreciate you so much um this conversation was just so much fun like I didn't even feel like it was um like an an interview? I don't know. I just felt like it was like good conversation. I know you did most of the talking. <laughs> um, but I just truly enjoyed hearing your story. Um, getting extremely personal with our audience and, and just being very very vulnerable. So I really, really appreciate that.
1: Well thank you so much for having me. I feel so honored when you ask guys like Me? And I like like I said earlier, you just never know what you put out there but what we're gonna come back to you. And yeah. so I'm just honored to share time and energy with you i feel like a better person and i you know this time to like process through my own consciousness is invaluable Mm -hmm. so i absolutely love following you i love following your wife Uh, y'all offer me a perspective that i would have never had access to Mm -hmm. of like what's it like to be teaching abroad Mm -hmm. Um, what's it like what is another school even like Mm -hmm. Now, now now i can really be like I have nice furniture. And I'm like, in a uniform, it's not what this, like, indoctrination
0: is. Yes. Other educational systems are. Britt, I have one more. It's not a question. It's more of, like, can you... So I've been talking to my wife a lot about, like, the value of not just Instagram, but, like, social media. And she's on fairly often but i'm wanting her to and this is obviously a preference thing like it's not for everybody um, to be posting constantly to be researching constantly but she has she does such a great job at teaching and um informing like through our classroom like i'll be honest like a lot of the stuff that i'm doing I'm getting ideas from her and we're having conversations about it. so i'm trying to as much as possible as much as possible influence her a little bit more to either post more, share more. Um, and I know like sometimes you hear something from the same person like all the time. It's just like you stop hearing it. <laughs> so if you, can you just like with like one line, two lines, like can you share with her like why she should do it? Like just, and, and again, keeping in mind that it's not for everybody. Um, I think she wants to do it, but just give her like one little pitch, like why you think she's great at what she's doing um the value of sharing her work online etc because i think it would be very very um helpful in my in my journey of trying to get her to post more online
1: (laughs) well i can i can share for me i mean i turned to instagram really a few years ago as like a classroom newsletter for my parents and then um it quickly became a place of like refuge and a place of continuing development. Like for myself, I was feeling very isolated being the only educator doing ABAR work in my school. Um, And so it allowed me to really create community and connection and it also allowed other people to challenge me. So, and I had to give her um, just like an empowering statement is that you have, you're the only one that can share with us your absolute incredible beauty of teaching. Like I, when I see her with her students, her face is completely lit up. I mean, she is smiling from ear to ear, eyes are sparkling. She's the only one that can share with us her love and her passion, her gift that she has, the ways that she's creating her um, very interactive lessons, the ways that her learners come into her classroom. The, the, her kindness, her graciousness, uh, and her spirit. She's the only one that can share, it, and we need to learn from that. We need to see that. We need more of that education to experience it. So I hope she will share more with us, because uh, we have a lot to learn.
0: Thank you. That that makes me so excited. <laughs> no,
1: I didn't know for a long time. Like I thought y'all were teaching partners. Uh-huh. And then one day you posted, like, this is, or my, my wife, or this is my wife. And I was like, I had
0: no idea here. I'm like, yeah, they're teaching bus right <laughs> now <laughs> like, are... oh my gosh, <laughs> how can I look for like even more? This is our first podcast. It's personal. I'm with Britt, and she did an amazing job. I appreciate you. Thank you so, so much for, for being with me today.
1: It just got personal. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All
0: right, Thank see you. you. Thank you. Bye.
1: <laughs>